Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 450. Jason Lingren is with me and Benjamin or Ben Balderson returns. Just so everybody knows, um, Rose has been making playlists. So when you're logged into the website, if you mouse over the full episode link, there's find a show, which lets you search by number, keyword, or guest name. And you got to pay attention. It's left and right. One side does one thing. The other one does the right side, I think, does guest name. Um, There's the directions to connect to the paid RSS feed. But below that are playlists. Uh, Right now, we have health, law, alchemy. Pretty soon, Ben's going to be up there. We're going to be adding playlists, just so you know. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a lovely good morning. All right. So before we get in here, um, you know, I might say something cute like this. This episode's where the rubber meets the road. But really, if I want to be honest, it's where the metal meets the sky clock. And these are old ideas. They used to be prevalent ideas. They're mostly in our time forgotten ideas, partially because we have descriptions of planets and space and all kinds of spinning systems that a lot of people are beginning to question. Uh, When you begin to question what the mainstream is handing forward, most of us go back in time to what used to be known and we start to find value. Anyhow, with all that, welcome, Ben. Hail Crow. Hail Jason. It's been quite a while and uh, been working on a lot of stuff. How are you guys doing? We're good. Why don't you tell folks where they can find your work? Primarily my work for uh, both hours is going to be over on Rockfin under Benjamin Balderson's Odin's Alchemy. And uh, we're also on uh, YouTube and all the different podcast apps, I believe Odyssey. But if you want to get the full the full two hours, uh, because the same problem that uh, Crow has with being uh, heavily censored, uh, we do the full two hours on uh, Rockfin where we don't have that problem. Now, cross our fingers. If you do use the search function that I just explained and you write the name Balderson to the right, I think there's like seven or eight episodes. But again, that will be in a playlist here shortly. We're going to jump in here, and basically, I don't know any other way to describe this as a form of alchemy. Uh, Maybe one of the main differences is you're a hands-on guy, and you live off-grid. So you come up with these ideas, you put them to use, but I think a lot of people who were handed the mainstream alchemical ways might start to get confused by some of the things we're going to talk about. And by the way, here shortly, we're going to talk about Fortune's contribution to Ben, Fortune to St. Germain. Ben needed to know a couple things. And so I asked Fortune and it took him a while to come up with an answer. But the interesting thing is, is after he had come up with the answer, he asked another adept and they gave the same answer back. So this is the point of view of two people. When we get there, let's jump in with a brief overview of of the galvanic cell theory, anodes, cathodes, mercury, salt, the whole deal. Absolutely. So a couple of years ago, um, L.C. King got a hold of me, and uh, he had been working on the world as a battery. And what he had been saying was uh, absolutely fascinating. So him and I started working together and also separately and looking at this. And the idea is then the sun is a cathode and the moon is an anode. And this is then just a basic galvanic uh, cell battery where the anode, it particles in the anode break apart and half of it the electron or the electron half will shoot over and jump to the cathode and then 
the entire thing's immersed in electrolytic fluid and <clears throat> filled with salt. And that the ion is going to then flow over through that fluid. And then the two pieces of the particle are going to come back together over in the cathode. And this is where power is going to be achieved is through this biochemical reaction. So wait a minute, you're saying that this is self-contained. There's no power source outside of what you're describing. Well, eventually it wears out because uh, obviously particles of the anode are breaking down and moving over to the cathode and making the cathode grow. So eventually this, this system's going to wear out. And at that point, then you go through electrolysis. And on the electrolysis side, the particles will break apart and go the other way. And so the cathode will start breaking apart as electrolysis does, and it will send those and the particles will then descend and will start rebuilding the anode when you're feeding power into the system. So when it's in the galvanic state, power's moving out. And when it's in the electrolysis state, power's moving in. So where do mercury and salt come into this thinking? You've already mentioned the salt to some degree. Well, the mercury is the fluid that makes this uh, transition possible. So there's so much, uh, and, and one of the episodes that we did, the eighth episode that we did actually was uh, about mercury. And mercury, part of the reason that it sets the bounds and, that ev- and makes all the transactions is because this energy can only flow, and we're talking philosophical mercury, so it doesn't have to necessarily be the metal mercury uh, in a battery. It's typically a mild acid. So it's just a fluid that makes it so these things can flow. So like when you're talking about uh, in plants, the when you're doing the great work on uh, spagyrics, the mercury is the oil that opens up the salt and allows the sulfur to transfer into the salt. So that transfer could not have happened because the crystals closed and the sulfur sitting outside of it, the mercury is what opens up the pathways and makes these transactions possible. And so in the, in the world cell, then the mercury level is, is going to be water. So if we use the creation as the only source of truth we have, and in a way you're trying to describe that, I think, uh, we know that nature never needs a new battery. Nature doesn't need to be cleaned up. Nature doesn't need anything. It's an endless cycle. How does the galvanic cell theory fit into that? Are you saying that at some point the anode breaks down enough that the cycle reverses to recharge? I am. And I'm saying we can see that in almost every mythology. So when you're looking at it, if we take like myself, I'm a heathen, we all come up to the Ragnarok event. And in the Ragnarok event, you have Muspelheim which is where Surt resides and all the planets or realms line up and Surt drives his uh, army of fire giants through the realms and burns them all to ash. And we can easily see that as an electrical discharge. And then afterwards it's washed back through with water and then life returns. Well, before the, uh, electrical discharge that recharges everything when everything comes back green and amazing and fruits fruits appear that no man planted Uh, before that everything is really weird 
So men are, men are killing each other. Uh, they're uh, lying, cheating, stealing, raping, all, all the worst things. And nothing makes any sense. Well, you find the same exact thing in, in most mythologies. Like uh, you look at the Yuga system. I like looking at that one. So if we take and look at the Yuga system, there's a line straight up and down. And everything to the left of that line is going to be electrolysis. And everything to the right side of that line is going to be galvanic. And you can see there's a fairly uh, wide golden period. Well, when you start looking at that, well, let's just look at our phone battery. When you're, when you're uh, charging your battery up, that's going to be your electrolysis. So we start out, we charge up the battery. We're in this nice golden area. And then when the battery starts wearing down, the phone doesn't work quite as well. It doesn't pull up apps quite as fast, but it still works good. And we're in our silver area. Well, then the battery starts really depleting. Things start getting really funny. Apps don't pull up the way they should. You type one letter, another letter types. Instead, uh, things you didn't want it to do happen. Things get real weird because that battery's getting low. and this is where we're moving down into the Kali Yuga age. And then it flips, you flip the switch, you turn on the electrolysis. And once you start catching charge, it moves out of that, moves itself up into the, uh, back into the silver and then into the gold, which is, I believe part of why we remember Saturn as the golden age, because that is the end of the electrolysis period. And, uh, when you're going through the electrolysis, everything reverses. So when you're going through the galvanic, what is the anode is sending its energy to the cathode and you're seeing the energy flow one way. Well, when you turn around and you switch it to the electrolysis portion, now the cathode itself is breaking apart and sending energy to the lower ends. And so the thing that was the most anodic now becomes the most cathodic because now the whole action has been reversed. And so when you look at the sky clock, well, the sun and the moon would be the anode and the cathode, but then the other, the other luminaries would be the plates in between. So this is where the most anodic plate then would be the full anode, which would be Saturn. And that would feed the entire system all the way up to the sun. Well, when you flip it around and you turn, turn it into electrolysis, it's going to feed all the way to Saturn. And Saturn's the one that's going to be the, the acting the most cathodic until the galvanic period is over. And then everything's going to flip and reverse. Now, <clears throat> the other factor that, and we're going to get into this later, is, is uh, that was ex extremely interesting while I've been working on this for the last year. Uh, historically, in the, the way that we're presented the whole uh, chakra system and energy system, it's very straight up and down and linear. So you've got uh, everybody's pretty aware of your typical seven linear chakras. And then you start matching that up to the luminaries and everything's supposed to match as above, so below. So when you add up the number of luminaries, well, that's not seven. And things really kind of, when you add the sun and moon, especially, and then I add Polaris into the system and we'll show why later, but then, well, why, why is that? Well, it's because it's not linear 
the way people are seeing it. And it's actually three individualized batteries set up together, all functioning together in a, in a uh, series. And so that's how can you get these extra luminaries and where these polarities are happening of these batteries, then that creates a singular battery. So then it does line up in all seven. So just for the record, Elsie King joined us in episode 374. He just recently started emailing me again, and he made an interesting observation about Polaris. I'm assuming you two have been talking because one of the questions that went forward to Fortune to St. Germain was with regard to Polaris. But I think it was yesterday or the day before Elsie King emailed me and he likened Polaris to the center point on a on a threshing floor, which is an interesting idea. In other words, the horses walking around threshing the grain on the floor, walking around that center point. So in one way or another, you could almost equate the horses with the traveling of the star fields, the luminaries, the whole the whole business being put to Polaris that way. But I want to mention, you might want to grab Rudolf Steiner's spiritual hierarchies, Zodiac and planets, something like that. I know spiritual hierarchies is in the title. Uh, He gives a description of how everything from their point of view was formed. And the Saturn, not the Saturn that we see now, but a thing called Saturn, which was as big as everything we can see now, was the beginning of, of it all with fire. Um, and also, I mean, I know you're aware that the Saturn that we do see now is the slowest moving, considered the furthest away in some models and the granddaddy, and therefore it inherits the idea of time, but let's keep moving here. Let's get up to where fortune is actually, there's a little bit before that. there's one more before that. So you're making a supposition that what should be diamagnetic is actually paramagnetic. Why is this? And can you describe what those two things are? So folks get it. So actually where that comes in is with copper because copper is the one that's weird. Copper is, uh, it's diamagnetic in nature, but it should be paramagnetic. So with paramagnetic, it's uh, a form of magnetism where materials are kind of weakly attracted by an externally applied magnetic field. So you have just a, a weak magnetism with paramagnetism where diamagnetism uh it tends to push away at at magnetics so it wants to make it move in 180 degrees and push it away and off to the side and so when i was setting up this world model okay so the where this started out at then is uh with the heart when i was looking at this and again we've been looking at this whole thing very very linear and when I started looking at the heart at, from the human biological perspective, what we have going on is we have an iron side and a copper side and your men are from Mars, women are, are from Venus. So you're, if you look alchemically, your iron side is Mars and that's masculine. And then your copper side is Venus and that's feminine. So in the human body and on this, on this plane, like I said, water is basically the mercury of this plane for the most part. And in that oxygen inside of your body is breaking things down and oxygenating them. And we've talked about this a number of times where the oxygen is making it so things get down into a level where your body can uh, incorporate it. So one of, the one, one of the things I like using because people actually understand this one is cannabis. 
with cannabis, you can't just go out and pick it off of the plant and consume it. It doesn't have the psycho effect, uh, psychoactive effects. Yeah. And that's because the carbon molecule is locking up the THC molecule or a piece of carbon is locking up that THC molecule. And so what you need to do is decarbolate it. Most people understand this. And what happens then is this carbon molecule, because of the heat, gets knocked out. And now that THC molecule is unstable and it's able to attach to your THC receptors because now it's not a stable molecule anymore. So this has to happen in so many different ways in your body, even basic caloric intake. Uh, most people think that you take in glute, you live off of glucose, but glucose is stabilized with carbon and you've got to knock that carbon molecule out of there, convert it into ATP. Now this ATP is unstable because the carbon was stabilizing it and it's able to bond into your system again. So oxygen is doing this tearing apart and breaking things down on the flip side. Now that that thing is broken down, uh, whether it's a mineral, whether it's ATP, we want to incorporate that into our system. So for the incorporation, we need hydrogen and the hydrogen's what's making that fusion end of things possible. So oxygen is the negative side of mercury in this, in this scenario. And hydrogen is the positive side of mercury. One's taking away, one's giving. And so again, this just like Robin Hood, yeah, any other mercurial story where they're making a mercurial figure, taking from the rich, giving to the poor, blah, blah, blah. We've, we discussed this on the mercury episode where it's, it's always just that transition that Mercury's representing. Mercury's neither positive nor negative. It picks up a piece of whichever and transfers it to the other side until balance is found. Now, when we're looking then at the heart itself, it's not actually a pump and it's moving through these energetic fields, what you need in your body and in and out of your blood. Well, then when I'm looking at that, <clears throat> the sky clock would be no different because as above, so below, everything works the same. And so the sky clock in all mist, we have this Venus Mars thing going on. These two are actually creating one field, one polarity, and, or uh, one uh, chakra. And it's through their polarity of these two that that chakra is energized. And so the whole heart center isn't uh, Mars, Venus, uh, up and down. The Mars and Venus are across from each other, and that's making the one chakra. And again, this is why you have the red blood, blue blood. Your red is iron and uh, iron draws in oxygen and it pushes out hydrogen. And then on the other side, you have blue. Blue draws in hydrogen and pushes out oxygen. So we have the two actions that need to happen and in an oscillation that are going on with your heart. And this is all happening very energetically. Well, then this is obviously going to apply to the rest of the system. So then I took it up and I started immediately. The next jump is easily in the brain. Now, when you even look at, uh, we did two, two episodes together of uh, the cell salts and the salts uh, are the, and the salts are the Zodiac and the salts of salvation. 
And even there, when it's talking about the way the salts work and the way the uh, human bodies formed. Well, let me jump in there because this is where, I mean, some of the, I mean, just your idea of the red and blue blood. These are, these are very interesting ideas. I think they differ from a lot of what we read, but they're still damn interesting ideas. But with the cell salts, here's, here's the issue that I have. And this is just, it shows the complexity. So right now, most of us are working with a seven idea system. The sun breaks down, the white light of the sun breaks down in what's typically shown as seven colors. There are seven original luminaries if we forget the last two discovered, Uranus and Neptune, who some will claim are a vibration ahead of where we are, whatever they want to claim. They don't really play into these older systems. We have every reason to believe that the old seven schematic system worked, but here's my issue, and it hit me while I was reading The Salts of Salvation. I think it's Carrie. I don't remember, but anyhow, the book, the salts of salvation, that's all put together based on a sky clock that existed 2000 years ago. That's all put together. Yeah. George Carrie is the author. That's all put together when the Tropic of cancer was the Tropic of cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn was the Tropic of Capricorn. In other words, when the high point of the sun was in cancer and the low point of the sun at the solstices was in Capricorn. Well, right now, and I'm just doing the best I can, I suspect what should be true for now, looking at the sky that's actually above our head, is we should have a Tropic of Gemini and a Tropic of Sagittarius down at the low point of the sun at the winter solstice, December 21. So do you agree, basically, that we're using a system that matches a sky clock, which has been out of date for a long, long time, yet we know the system works. Do you agree with that? 100%. There's, it's so amazing that we operate off of things that match, but then our system doesn't, but we still innately operate off of so many things that match. It's, it's such an absolutely interesting thing. And then further, we, Another trick that I've found that I've been working on and Lucas has been working on is again, and then uh, Mario Garza also is another one that's uh, from Symbolic Studies is also pushing hard on that one, where the head of the system is actually Polaris. And we understand that to to a degree. And it's, it's very interesting once you take that idea and you start matching it to any stories. So we need to out so a lot of people listening have never probably used a telescope. So we need to do two things here. We need to define why Polaris is special within the hierarchy of stars or the star field, which Tycho Brahe would have put out beyond Saturn. He would have put the star fields. That's what Tycho would have done. Uh, he called it the sphere of stars here. I'll just, I'll just lay it down. When you look North, The whole sky is revolving clockwise, depending where you are, clockwise, where I am, around a center point. That center point is the star Polaris. Now, if you turn around and look south, the the sky is rolling by, but not necessarily, it doesn't look like it's rolling on a center point. You have to look north to do that. Anyone can find Polaris by doing this. Find the Big Dipper. Almost everyone can find the Big Dipper. The cup of the Big Dipper, the last two stars point, line them up and point about 20, 25 degrees away, about what your thumb. And if you put out your pinky and your thumb, like you're hanging 10 Hawaii style and go off those two point stars of the cup in the big dipper, 
your pinky will be sitting. If you use your right hand, your pinky will be sitting very close to where Polaris is just so people will know, but um, finish your thought. And I mean, we're going to have to list, list the metals out here pretty quick. So you were think you were about to say something about Polaris, but I think it's important people get what we're talking about. Why is Polaris special? It never sets by the way, everybody, there are a few stars that never set. Right. And so when we look at the stars and we start looking at the old myths, we start understanding, well, for starts, one of the big keys that set me off is in a, in a lot of myths, the sun is not even the head God. And we've turned the sun into the head God uh, in today's time for almost everything. But in almost no myths, like as a heathen, the sun isn't even one of the gods. The sun, the sun is uh, soul, a girl, and the moon is Mani, a boy. And they were placed in the sky to separate day and night. Now, even according to the Christian cosmology, the sun would be Polaris, and Polaris never moves, and as Crow just said, never sets. It is always in the same spot. And then every day, the bright shining one comes and draws away our attention, and it's only there and rises in its glory and then falls every, every day. And there sits God right there in the same place that it always was. Now, the, the luminaries that are the wandering stars or what most people would call the planets, those are your fallen stars because they don't march in a perfect procession around Polaris. Every other star is, isn't fallen because it does. It marches in a perfect dance around Polaris, which is this central pivot point. And then the wandering stars do their own thing that's separate from them. Um, when you look at even the Gnostics, the Gnostics looked at the wandering stars the, as uh, the um, archons and their, their influence would be something that uh, they tried to free themselves from through taking even things like a mandrake root, which would try and free them from the effects of these luminaries where uh, the wandering stars through the metals that you associate with them inside of your body are affected by the movements of those luminaries. So Polaris is actually the head of the system and then everything starts descending from there. And that's where, that's where a real problem came in was trying to discover Polaris because through the alchemical works, now we're getting ready to go list the other metals and most of them are fairly easy to find, but in the way the system that I was looking at and the way it should have worked, I needed to add those. So these metals needed to happen. Now we had, as Crow said, got a hold of Fortune Saint Germain because in no occult books, in no works, you can look it up all over the internet. I own a very large library. And nothing lists Polaris as a metal. What about other stars typically? Did you find other stars, not luminaries, but stars that did have their metals listed? No. Uh, so the ones that are typical is, well, the sun and the moon have metals listed with them. Right. Yeah, I meant the star fields, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but everyone's got to realize we're, we're kind of going out of order here. 
finish what you're going to say about fortune, but we need to list the metals out so that people can have the idea in their mind. And what that implies is if that is true, um, there used to be a time apparently where each star, like a good example is Aldebaran, the eye of the bull. It's like an orangey red. And it was thought of as a malicious, malefic star. And then you'd have the Pleiades, which even in the Bible are listed as the sweet influences of those blue seven sisters, typically called the Pleiades. So we know that in an older time, the stars themselves were attributed good, bad, neutral, probably this metal, this energy. And so I just wanted to get that on the table. So finish what you're saying about fortune. I think we're going to, you're going to mention the, uh, the Neptune idea here. Well, we're going to start with the Polaris. So Polaris was the crown and when we got a hold of Polaris, the metal that he had said that he saw it as is platinum, which when uh, I also thought it was going to be a white metal. Titanium. Yep. Platinum, titanium, something along those lines. I, I knew it was going to be a white metal. So he came up with platinum and we're going to come back to this later. Why this was so beautiful and, and fit so perfectly. It just absolutely amazing. I think he came up with titanium, didn't he? I remember telling you titanium. It was platinum. Was it platinum? Yeah. You're going to make me search an email here. It was platinum. Okay. I remember titanium. Maybe I got it wrong. So your typical metals, then it falls after that, it falls to your typical ones. So the sun is associated with gold. Then it moves to silver and that's going to be associated or uh, the moon is going to be associated with silver. And then you're going to move to Mercury, which is Mercury. Again, we've already talked about uh, Mars is iron and Venus is copper. And then we're going to move to Jupiter for tin and Saturn for lead are the ones that are normally talked about. Uh, And those are all fairly easy to find just about anywhere. And then aluminum for Uranus. So the other one that I was having a hard time with then was. Neptune and again got a hold of fortune on Neptune, which does not have any kind of a metal association that you can find at all in any of the typical works. And this one, I uh, was not at all sure, and I was kind of landing on maybe bismuth, but uh, he went with lithium, which was absolutely perfect. And again, we'll come back to that later, why, why lithium works so very well. Which they've openly chemtrailed in the sky recently, by the way. Lithium has been openly announced to have been sprayed in the sky, just to let people know. And you can look up lithium to see what it does to people when it's ingested. Which is exactly where, where we're going to come to when we get to that point. We kind of ended up blown by the uh, George Carey part too. So, and we'll just bring that, we'll just tie that in here. So when we look at uh, Polaris as the crown chakra or, or the very crown, now this is giving out, whether it would be uh, lithium or titanium, a white light, which is part of why that's where I landed on that with those two, uh, because that's giving out a white light. Now, from there, we descend into all the colors. So white is all the colors, and then fractally, we descend into the different fractions of white. And so this is part of why the crown would naturally be white. Well, even in the Salts of Salvation uh, by Carey, 
when you start out with the uh, way the system starts, you start with cerebrum and cerebellum. That is your original polarity. And that's a polarity that uh, historically we all understand. And it's represented in so many of these different myths. The one side is your high thought side. The other side is your animal walking power side. And it's through these polarities that this whole system gets energized. So in the brain, we understand that these two were across from each other. It's not going up and down like when, like we think in that uh, perfect uh, vertical fashion. We have a horizontal right there where those two are forming. And then we, uh, again, in all the occult different works, we talk about where the pineal and the cave and everything else that's right there in between those two things is where the, the point uh, that we're really talking about where that perfect seed is. So the same is going to then apply to the sky clock. The sun and the moon are the brain, the cerebrum and the cerebellum, the cathode and the anode. And so those two are crossed from each other, feeding into each other and creating this entire polarized field. <clears throat> then we descend into Mercury and Mercury is going to be your throat chakra where it comes down into a singular point again. Then we're going to come back out into a polarity and this polarity is going to be your heart polarity of the iron and the copper, the Mars and the Venus. So these two polarities are making the one heart chakra with the two sides. And then we're going to descend down again into Jupiter of 10. Well, then again on the body, this will all line up, make perfect sense. We descend down into uh, the sexual reproduction area where it splits off into two. And we have the Mars and the Uranus stories. And when we look at, or not Mars, uh, I'm sorry, Saturn and Uranus stories. And when we look throughout all the myths, we have this fight between Saturn and Uranus. And we have this polarity that's going to exist. And even in a lot of them, that the fight even ends up being around the groin, where like Saturn uh, rips off the, the genitals of, uh, or I mean, uh, of Uranus uh, in the Greek stories. So we have that fight always represented. Well, then it's going to flip down and come down into another singular point of Neptune where everything's going to be black, which is why that's not re represented in any of our normal pictures, in any of our normal chakras, because that's the absence of all color where the white crown was all colors. Now the, the root, the, the black root, takes in all colors and absorbs all of them. So we end up with seven chakras, just like we would in the human body, but we end up with three polarities. And this is something that I've spent a lot of time talking about. And we even did an episode on my tree of life where I talk about where we have three minds and those three minds lay out perfectly on these spots. Well, these are these three minds are being caused by these three different polarities. So 
then on the overall system, just like with the salts of salvation, the brain polarity, the brain uh, center is then opposite and polarized against the root. So then these two, this is when you're talking about the dissension from when the God area down to the root area. Now you're, you're, you're talking about uh, where you gain your walking power, your animal power, your, your body. And that's opposed to your higher thought. So we looked at the entire system, the way the salts of salvation and the way this turns into this whole flow of it moves, it descends down, everything gains on the dissension. And then it, you get a multiplication through that because one seed that you plant, uh, again, when you draw this over to like wheat, you plant that one seed up in the cerebrum. And by the time it gets down to the root, now you have an entire head of wheat. And that's where on the way from the root back up to the, to the forebrain is where you have the, the separating of the wheat from the chaff. And now instead of gaining material, again, we did this entire thing on the salts of salvation. You start losing material and winnowing away until you get back down to that perfect seed. Only instead of the one seed you planted, you now have a hundred seeds that you now have back in the same place where you have this whole uh, circular uh, energetic motion. Uh, assuming you don't uh, choose the way of the scorpion and and uh, eject and free the lost souls and all that, if you stick with the whole higher man system. Well, you're you're outlining a seven part system, which is reflected in a prism breaking the white light of the sun apart into seven constituent parts. Typically, that's how it's described as seven. There are seven luminaries, but this is the older system because we're now aware of Neptune and Uranus, which don't typically get used at all by the seven portion system. But we kind of know two things, don't we? And these are tough. We have to get back to knowing at a certain level because we have to update. We have to come into a time where the sky clock we see is actually what's being referenced. We know the old seven system matches the old seven signs, and we know that it's workable, but we also know that it's not true to what's over our head right now. And to make it worse, we have a couple luminaries um, that are not woven into the system. And the idea of it, I think, or at least the way I accept it, is as human consciousness rises, other luminaries will be discovered. There's talk about one called Vulcan. Matter of fact, I'm not sure it might have been Steiner uh, and some other people talking about at some point Vulcan will be discovered, so they say. But we do know, and we, we might ask the question, those guys back then who made the seven portion system, um, based it with sunlight, based it with luminaries, how was it that they couldn't see or detect Uranus or Neptune? And one might say they're very dim, even with a telescope. Um, I've looked at them with a telescope. One of them is very, very dim. The other one's a little bit greenish blue, like almost a marine green, uh, a marine blue green, something like that. So it's not hard to realize that they might not have been able to see them. But when we got up to a certain point, we could detect them. So my idea here, Ben, is at some point, this has to go up to eight or nine, doesn't it? And that also means for that to work, we have to detect a couple more colors that we don't typically recognize. 
exactly. It, it definitely seems like we're evolving as a species. And as this is happening, we're just getting more in line with these vibrations. So we're becoming aware of them. We're able to interact with them. So we're, we're coming up. We don't have a lot of time left in the hour. I want to get the list of alchemical metals paired off with their luminaries, but I found the email and actually Rose pinged me. Uh, Fortune did say titanium and white for Polaris. Just oh, put it on the record. Say titanium. titanium and white, but um, let's get into it here. What we're going to do is Ben's going to lay down the metals. He'll probably call them alchemical metals, but you will recognize them. Iron, uh, tin, metals that you're familiar with. He's going to pair them off with the planets. This is a big deal. This is a huge idea. As far as I know, Ben, nowhere in science will you find the correlations that you're going to make. And it's sad because nature demonstrates that these are good correlations. Exactly. So again, you're going to get into the cerebrum, which is going to be the sun, and that's going to be your gold. And then you're going to get over into the moon, which is going to be your silver, and that's going to be your anode. And then you're going to get to the throat, which is mercury. And uh, again, mercury, um, that one's always on the nose, right? Now, one of the really interesting things is that uh, the metals above now. So we've isolated out uh, the uh, brain area, which in all these different stories then is the gods. That's even whether it's a heathen all of them, this area is considered the God. So all of these metals up above the mercury point are completely paramagnetic. So you've got the crown, which is titanium, titanium's paramagnetic, gold, silver. Now, mercury makes the transition between these, the gods and the mundane metals, the lower metals. So now we look at everything below the throat line and the associations. These are going to be your more mundane metals. So your uh, heart center is then going to be iron, which is Mars. And that's going to be one half of your heart, as I was explaining earlier. And copper is going to be the other half, and that's going to be Venus. And then these are going to descend down into the tin of Jupiter, which is your will center the giver of good things. And then that's going to descend into your groin of Uranus and Saturn or lead and aluminum, and then move into the uh, lithium of Neptune. Now the lithium, when uh, we were talking to fortune about that just fit in so absolutely fantastically and amazing because then that being the root, it actually, uh, uh, one of the things that lithium does in the human body is it interacts extremely with your salts and makes it so your salts uh, uh, just become much more effective and you're able to take things. So when you take lithium, one of the big things you have to really watch is, is your hydration levels. Because if you become overheated and dehydrate ever so slightly, your body will really start having some uh, problems, electroconductivity problems, because that lithium's presence in there makes it so it'll, it will react a whole lot stronger. So lithium as the root in Neptune, which again, that's not something you can go out there and necessarily find too much, is absolutely fascinating. 
So it goes from your white metal, your titanium into this polarity of the brain, which is going to be your gold and your silver. And then mercury is going to make this transition between the gold or the platinum level elements. And that might be where I ended up with the platinum confusing that uh, because it's all platinum level elements and your uh, lower mundane elements. Now, it also then makes that transition on the way up also, as we know, throughout all the stories. So this is absolutely fascinating. So now that we have all these metals laid out and we can see the way that we have these three different polarities or three minds, we can start looking then at the way these things are actually functioning energetically. Because as I described with the heart, this is going to be an energetic reaction. And this is part of why we're looking at where um, everything above the mercury line is uh, paramagnetic. And then below the, below that, it's uh gets a little bit funny on the heart, which is where we can see the transition. And we're going to go ahead and talk about that part in the second hour. Um, but then we have the more diamagnetic materials below that line, below the heart line. And so this is going to be once again, representative of just like with the, in alchemy, where I talk about when you break apart the carbon bond, the carbon body, the etheric portions of the plant want to rise. The oil wants to vaporize and rise up. The salt wants to descend and sink and comes together under fire. So these are two different reactions that really kind of push away from each other. And it's the carbon body, the carbon bond that's holding these two things together that are polarized against each other and pushing. And we see that same thing coming out of the heart center where everything above it is trying to push one way and the things below it are trying to move another way. So this is what causes a lot of our energetic movements. And we're going to go ahead and talk about that. And then also, as we were talking about this system, we understand that there was three full polarities and those are three minds that each function in in and of themselves. So what we end up having really then is the cerebrum, the cerebellum, uh, mercury, and the crown as one battery, and that's your Godhead. And that is one battery that functions entirely on its own. And then you have mercury, Jupiter, and the two, the Mars and the Venus of the heart functioning. And so the whole body is laying out in a very uh, electrical fashion And it's laying out as three different cells or three minds, as I've talked about so many times. And this is why those minds are functioning. But we'll get into that in the second hour and how everything flows. So you're going to need to hold that thought. We're going to have to wrap up for hour one. But here's part of the issue. As you're laying down the metals, um, I've seen the argument laid down that like, I think it's Uranus is aluminum, but nobody's quite sure. But what we do know for sure is how aluminum is being used down here. So we know there's a reality to it, but consider this. Typically, you'll see seven chakras laid out. You'll see the lights from this white sunlight broken out into seven. You'll see the old system where there's sun and moon and five luminaries, which makes seven. This seven system 
it seems to me that has to expand by two now at some point. And what I've been hearing from people who know more than I do about these things is they're at a higher vibration. We're not quite there. Don't know if it's true. They're still arguing about where aluminum goes. I see how you're asserting where aluminum goes, but the good news is it's back on radar. People like you are working on these issues. LC King sending me some amazing work. People have this back in their minds in the same way I just covered Ross from Conscious Technologies. Cymatics is coming back on radar into human consciousness. These are a big deal for me, but Ben, please tell people one more time where they can find you and your work. Absolutely. I'm a Benjamin Balderson over on uh, Benjamin Balderson's Owens Alchemy on Rockfin is where you're going to find my full show. Um, I put my stuff out on free, so you don't have to have the $9.99 a month membership, but I do appreciate what, appreciate it when people sign up, up under me. And I'm also, the big deal that I got coming up is Flattoberfest. So I understand a lot of this is really hard to visualize, and this is where uh, it was so hard with the Tree of Life episode also, to get the visualization of this just off of words. So at Flattoberfest, I'm going to be doing a presentation, and this is going to have the visuals added. So it's really easy to understand these things and, and you can just bring them together. Other than that, I'm on any kind of a podcast app and over on Odyssey. So come on over and check us out. All right, there it is. We're kind of at a new threshold here. And part of it feels to me like, to make the pun, we're going back to the future. We're going back to those older times when people used firsthand observation. There was a cleaving away from that. Tycho Brahe for me is that. Tycho spent his whole life firsthand observation, laying it out the best he could, working tirelessly to try to prove what he was laying down, which by the way, I mostly accept. And then who did we get? The two theoretical guys. It's almost like there's a dividing line in time right there where being one with nature, observing in nature, being aware of a creator, using your spiritual attributes as a human being was suddenly undermined somehow. Ironically, by the probably by the place that's supposed to have your spiritual interests at heart, but go figure. Anyhow, that's going to bring hour one of episode four, five, zero to a close with Jason Lingren and Benjamin Balderson. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about a lot of things and we're going to take this further. Kundalini, Mercury, Hermes, there's a whole list in front. We're going to touch on copper again, which in some weird ways, you know, when I talk about the planets, I always say Mars is an odd duck. Well, apparently copper is the odd duck of metals to people who look at it. But then again, look look at our world. Is there a metal in this world that's used more than copper? There might be, but my point is it's pretty popularly used metal here for so many things to include electricity and drinking water. But there it is. Join us at crow777radio.com for the full episode at crrow777radio.com. Become a member, get Shoot the Moon, the award-winning movie for free that covers all my scope work. And you get the full episodes all the way back to episode one. We're pushing towards 500 episodes. That's like well over a thousand hours of content right there. With that, I'll wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And we hope to see you for hour two. Cheers.
Please. 